Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's the 2nd of June 22, episode 37 of the podcast. Today it's going to be a shorter episode because it's half term uh, where I am so that just means um, having a bit of a week off and uh, doing a bit of painting and decorating and uh, doing a bit of visiting of museums all that sort of thing so um, it's a bit more of a restful week. I'm actually recording this on the day before um, as I as I record this it's the 1st of June so um, yeah but I'll, I'll set it to go out um, tomorrow uh, so you should be listening to this on the 2nd. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to open by talking a bit about the news, things which I've seen over the last week. And then um, instead of having a main segment or a Bible bit at the end, we're going to have a sermon. And this is one which I recorded in our church a few days ago. And um, it, well, I say recorded in our church, you know, it was it was a sermon given in a, a church service. And it's on the book of Daniel, uh, chapter two. And Daniel is a great book for thinking about you know, the relationship of God's people to governments and being brave and standing up and uh, and so on. So, yeah, I think that would be a really good thing uh, to look at. Um, and it's particularly relevant for our time. So I hope that that's an encouragement to you coming on to that um, a bit later. But first, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the news. So, um, yeah, one of the things which I know a lot of people have been wondering is, why on earth do were people so sort of reluctant to think that lockdowns were a mistake? You know, why is it that people just accepted it all? And it struck me, you know, there was an article on the Daily Skeptic a few days ago about how inflation, of course, inflation is going up, prices are going up. And a lot of that is driven by the the lockdown policies. Now, of course, there are other factors like the war in Ukraine, uh, of course, that's that's part of it. And there are other things, too. But definitely what happened during the lockdown, shutting down the economy for nigh on two years and printing a ton of money, it turns out to actually cause inflation. So a lot of the what we're seeing at the moment is just the fruit of the lockdown policy, even if there are other factors involved. Um, the economy is never a simple thing, is it? And it struck me that... You know, the people who have spent the last two years not really questioning what's been going on may find that, you know, when their wallets are a bit more empty, when they maybe can't afford to buy certain things, that will just put the pinch on a bit more and say, well, why are we in this situation? What caused this situation? Uh, perhaps it was shutting down the economy for two years and printing a ton of money may have had something to do with it. That's why prices are so much more crazy than than they were before or than they would have been otherwise. So I hope that, you know, the financial pressure, putting a bit of pressure on people's bottom line will actually help to wake people up to the fact that we've just undergone two years or so of, you know, completely fruitless uh, trying to control a virus. Um, and all that we managed to do really was to destroy the economy. And, and that is, you know, we're seeing the, the results of that now, the ugly results of that. Um, that might help uh, in that respect. I don't, uh, and I don't say that, you know, kind of glibly, but nonetheless, I think it may be the pain that we need to go through to actually show for people to, to waken up to what is actually happening. So, you know, perhaps God is using the this crisis actually for, for good in that respect. That was just a thought. 
The second thing that I wanted to mention, um, again, I, I keep coming back to uh, the vaccine at the moment, but there was another article on The Daily Skeptic a few days ago saying uh, COVID vaccines may be fatal for one in every 4,000 doses. And they were looking at the excess mortality, comparing the UK and comparing Denmark. And um, again, it, it does seem like there is a worrying signal. You know, however you, you, you seem to look at it, if you compare the rates for unvaccinated for vaccinated if you look at the baseline and look at excess deaths and you know compare all of these things it does look like there is something very worrying going on and again the question that i just have to keep coming back to is why is no one interested in looking at this certainly in the government in the mainstream media why is no one just interested in what is happening here when it seems like the vaccine could well be doing a lot of damage and it does seem like this is the case that there is very worrying evidence that uh, with the with the rollout of the vaccine actually more people are dying and more people are getting ill you know you have to wonder what if uh, the vaccine rollout has actually done terrible damage and how will we know if we're not actually allowed to ask that question? So, yeah, I'm sorry for, for keeping on coming back to it. But I think, you know, this need, we need to keep saying this, that, you know, what if the vaccines were actually doing incredible damage and were causing more harm than good? And what if the safe and effective vaccines were not safe and were not actually effective? Then what we're effectively doing is we are shooting ourselves in the foot uh, and worse than that, actually, shooting ourselves in the heart sometimes, um, you know, playing Russian roulette. And all for what? Uh, when you look at, you know, countries who have had a big vaccine rollout, who are now saying a bigger spike in, in COVID than, where, uh, than before, all of that kind of thing, you wonder what on earth is happening? How could that be? How could that be going on? Unless there is something wrong with, with these vaccines. And... It seems to me that's um, if not if that's not worthy of investigation, I don't know what is. Basically, if that's not news, I don't know what is. But according to our our authorities and according to our media, it's not worth the investigation. It's not worthy of news. We'll just plow on regardless. Um, we're reaping the fruits of that, and I think one day uh, that will be seen clearly. So let's move on past uh, COVID to talk about something a bit different. Um, there was an interesting article I read in the mail by um, Louise Perry, and she's written a new book about the sexual revolution and actually how um, the sexual revolution has been a disaster for women. So the book is called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, and it's due to be published uh, uh, today, June the 2nd. Um, so... Uh, yeah, but the, the article itself was really interesting, talking about how the sexual revolution has been very good for men in some ways, but actually not very good for women. It's sort of given men, you know, what they what they want, but actually not given women um, what they want and security and, and so on. And um, yeah, I think that, that that's a really thought provoking um, article and I hope that a lot of people read it. Because it seems to me that as we have departed from Christian ethics when it comes to sexuality and marriage, it's not made us any happier, but has actually made us miserable 
and has actually um, really caused so many problems. You know, fatherlessness is a huge problem uh, in society. A lot of young men who commit crimes have grown up in households without fathers, for example. Or you think about, um, you know, the, the domestic abuse. You think about the housing crisis even, you know, because if a couple splits up, then they have to live in two separate houses. All of that kind of thing. So we are... There are all sorts of problems going on and I think the sexual revolution really is, has been at the heart of many of them. And I'm really glad that I don't believe, I don't think Louise Perry is a Christian, but she is someone who, who nonetheless sees the problem with the sexual revolution. And again, I'm just really heartened that it seems people are beginning to wake up to the problems with the way that we as a society were through the 20th century. Uh, we talked a little bit about Roe versus Wade um, a week or two ago, how in America that was likely to be overturned. And um, and I think, again, that is something positive, that you know some of the, the mistakes that we made in the 20th century look like they're being pushed back. I think that's a really good sign that God is at work, that there's a, an answer to prayer, that God is at work, and actually that this could be the turning point. You know, I really feel like things have been getting darker for a long long time but actually I think this could be a real turning point I think we could start to see people waking up to to the hell that we've created for ourselves with all of the the problems I mean not just obviously thinking about COVID I mean that was like the the icing on the cake but through the 20th century with things like abortion and the sexual revolution so those are all things which are um yeah, are positive signs, I think. And I really hope that in these coming months we can uh, capitalise on that and, you know, trust that God would lead us forward in, in speaking the message of the truth. So um, that's just what I had to share uh, share today. Do let me know in the comments or on Telegram if there's uh, anything you want to comment, you want to add as well. And I'd just like to remind you as well, um, before we get on to the sermon, uh, if you'd like to support me, you can do that on Buy Me A Coffee. There's the Buy Me A Coffee link down below. Um, don't forget to, if you're on YouTube, you can like um, the, the video and, and subscribe as well, as that just kind of helps with the YouTube algorithm. And if you're on the podcast, listening on the audio podcast, then it'd be great if you could leave a rating and even a review, as that does help as well uh, other listeners to find Sacred Musings. So thanks so much, everyone, for, uh, for joining me for this short episode today. And I'll be back next week. I think next week, uh, having looked at the foundations of the Christian worldview, we're going to start looking at how that works out politically, you know, particularly in terms of left and right uh, politically. So that will be next week. So, uh, yeah, I'll leave you now with the sermon from Daniel chapter 2. It's verses 24 to 49, if you'd like to look at that in a Bible or on a, you know, the phone app or whatever, before you have a listen. Uh, the second half of Daniel chapter 2, basically. And, um, yeah, with all of that said, um, God bless, and I'll see you again next week. A lot of people have observed over the, uh, the last couple of years that there's been a crisis of meaning in the world. There's a crisis of meaning. That a lot of people, and especially younger people, just don't know what the meaning of, of life is. They don't find meaning in the things which they do day by day. And 
this is uh, led to the, the crisis of mental health which we are seeing today. Uh, many people have said this, so for example this is what it said in Psychology Today um, not so long ago. Well before the COVID-19 pandemic, many people told us that they feel overwhelmed, lonely and unfulfilled. In chasing the good life, they sacrifice their relationships, their health and their sanity and at the end of the day, still found themselves with lives and work that bring them little joy and meaning. For a long time, depression has been on the rise and many people simply can't cope with the pace of change brought on by technological, cultural and social transformations. When someone doesn't find meaning, they are left with emptiness or an existential vacuum, often filled with self-destructive behaviours. So there we go. That's where we are, isn't it? That people don't find meaning in their day-to-day -day lives, in their work and their other things that they do. And so they turn to these uh, self-destructive behaviours. And I don't have to, uh, to justify that, do I? You know, that you can just look around in the world outside and see all of that kind of thing happening. Well, that's the, the big question of life though, isn't it really? Which is how do we find meaning in the world? How do we find meaning in our lives? Because life is a mystery, isn't it? Life is a mystery and that's something that, that we need unveiling. Well, that's something that we're going to be thinking about in this passage from, uh, from Daniel chapter 2. Now, one of the things that I learnt when I was at Bible college is if you want to understand a passage from the Bible, then look for the repeated words, look for the repeated phrases. That, that will often give you a clue. And that's something if you're studying a Bible passage in either on your own or in home group or whatever, to look for the words and phrases that are repeated several times. If you look in, uh, in Daniel, in this passage that we had read, and the whole of chapter 2, the thing which jumped out to me, maybe you spotted this as well, is the word mystery. Did you notice that that came up several times? The God, the revealer of mysteries, the mystery of the dream. I looked into this a bit further. And I found that the word mystery is only used eight times in the whole of the Old Testament. Seven of those times are in Daniel chapter 2. And one is, is in a couple of chapters later in chapter 4. So there is something significant about this. It's the mystery. But what is the mystery? What mystery is it that we're being told about? Well, on one level, on a surface level, it's just Nebuchadnezzar's dream, isn't it? I mean, that much is just quite obvious that it is just Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that's the mystery. But there is a deeper mystery going on, isn't there? There is a deeper mystery, which is, as Daniel says to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 29, uh, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. So it's not just a mystery of a dream, it's a mystery of the future. It is a, a mystery of history, if you like. It's a mystery of the whole of history. And this dream, as we just heard in the story, it's, it, it was uh, to do with a big statue which represented successive uh, kingdoms. So Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was the gold head. And then after, uh, after him, there was going to be another kingdom, which was the, the Persian kingdom. And we see that happening actually in chapter 6 of Daniel. It was Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, who came in. So the Persian Empire, that was next. Then there was uh, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. Then there was the Roman Empire. 
And it was under the Roman Empire that Jesus was born. And that exactly fits with what, uh, with what the dream said, doesn't it? Because the, 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 uh, the rock made, uh, sort of picked up not with human hands. That's the kingdom of God. And that was Jesus and is Jesus. So uh, that's what the dream revealed. But the question is, why? Why did God reveal that to Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, what was the point in revealing it a few hundred years before it all happened? What was the point of that? I think one reason is to show who was really God. As we saw last week, if you were here last week, the first half of chapter two, we were thinking about how the magicians and astrologers and so on couldn't interpret the dream. And it really did show who believed in the, the one true God, the God of heaven. Um, so that was one reason. But I think the, the second reason is actually to show that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't immortal and that actually he, everything that he had, had been given by God. And this, that really struck me as we were reading through the passage earlier. It says, um, uh, verse 37, for example, Your Majesty, you are the King of Kings. The God of heaven you has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind. Uh, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar had, had been given by God. And that was something that Nebuchadnezzar needed to recognise. Because that wasn't the, the natural way that they thought about kings in those days. That in those days, it was more like, as the astrologers say in um, verse 4, may the king live forever. Now, they thought the king was immortal, some kind of God. And in fact, there's evidence of this not too far away from us. If you go to Colchester, you look at Colchester Castle. I don't know if ever, any of you have um, been on the tour around the castle. Um, it's very interesting going. I was actually there a, a few weeks ago. Um, but one of the interesting things is, to me, that it, the castle itself is Norman. You know, it's about a thousand years old. But the foundations are Roman. The foundations of the castle were actually originally built for the temple, a Roman temple, for the Emperor Claudius. And that's how the Romans rolled. That's how they did things. That the Romans worshipped their emperor. To the Romans, the emperor was like a god. Or at least they pretended that he was anyway. That's how it happened. And that's how the ancient empires did things. You know, the, the king, the emperor was God. And, uh, and God, the God of heaven, was showing Nebuchadnezzar that that's not the case. In fact, God was saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, after you, Dale Ralph Davis in his um, Bible Speaks Today, he's got a lovely phrase saying, it's the divine after you. Saying to Nebuchadnezzar, there will be an after you. There will be a kingdom after you, the Babylonian Empire. And he's saying to him, you're just a bit part player in my plan. You know, you're just a bit player in this. You're a walk-on part. You'll be here and then you're gone, like the grass of the field. So that was a message to Nebuchadnezzar. But was there a message to Daniel as well? And is there a message to us today as part of this? I think there is. If we go back to the mystery for a second... Mystery is a word which, like I said, only comes up eight times in the Old Testament, but it comes up quite a few times 
in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. Um, and he's probably picking up on just this, in fact. Let me read you just one passage, a few verses from Ephesians, where this comes up. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So what Paul says is that the mystery, which wasn't revealed in the Old Testament in the same way, but has been revealed, it's a mystery which was revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's the mystery that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ is part of his body, which you might also call the church, which you might also call the kingdom of God. That's the mystery. It's the mystery of the kingdom, which has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. Anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ is part of the kingdom of God. And it fits with Nebuchadnezzar's dream as well, doesn't it? You know, you think that the, the rock became, was the kingdom and it became, the, you know, filled the earth. Think about Jesus's parable of the mustard seed, now the smallest of all seeds, which grows to fill uh, the, the largest of the, all the, the plants in the garden, he says. So that's the point that God was making. There is only one kingdom at the end of the day which is going to endure. Only one kingdom which is going to endure. Now that's a message which is highly relevant to us today. It's a message which is highly relevant to what's going on in the world today. That God has revealed the mystery of the kingdom to us. And I think actually you could say that we're a bit like the Daniel in this and Nebuchadnezzar is sort of represents the world you know we are there we've been given the mystery of the kingdom the interpretation and we're there to tell the world as Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar what uh, what the deal is what the kingdom of God is about and let's think about just a few ways three ways which um, in which this makes a difference to us today so the first thing is you may have heard that phrase the right side of history it seems to be a favourite of um, politicians today that you need to be on the right side of history. And that basically means if you're not with all of the current things, whatever they may be, if you're not with all of that, then you're the wrong side of history and you'll just be in the dustbin and you'll be cast aside. You know, it's saying you need to get on board with the programme. You need to be on the right side of history. How did that work out for Daniel? You think about it. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he was, the, he was the king. You know, he had the, the full might of the Babylonian Empire and the army behind him. Daniel was, was an exile. He was the one who'd been, uh, his, his people had been taken over by the Babylonians and invaded and he'd been taken away. He wasn't even in his home country. Nebuchadnezzar had all of the magicians and astrologers and all of that, uh, he had the whole lot, the whole works at his disposal. And Daniel didn't have any of that. 
But Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was coming to an end. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was going to end. And Daniel could see the kingdom that was coming that would last forever. Now that's something which we need to take on board and learn that so often things which when the world says to us you need to get with the program you need to change the bible to fit in with what we what we now believe all of these kind of things we need to see things from god's perspective and we need to see actually that from the eternal perspective it's only god's words and only god's kingdom that's going to last forever that if you stick with god if you stick with Jesus, if you stick with what the Bible says, we will never be on the wrong side of history because actually God is the only one on the right side of history in his kingdom. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now that's being on the wrong side of history eternally. That's not something that we want to be. A second thing to remember is that no earthly kingdom is ultimate. No earthly kingdom is ultimate. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar comes to to understand. He says, um, verse uh, 47, he says, uh, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in some sense to understand that God, the God of heaven, the God who who is there, is the Lord of kings. He rules kings. And that's something which comes elsewhere in the Bible. And Wednesday worshippers, the last few few months, we've been looking at the book of Revelation. And Revelation talks about Jesus being um, the Lord, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And it also says that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in Revelation chapter 19. So Jesus is the King of Kings, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now what that means is that any authority, any kings, any authorities which have been put there have been put there by God. But it also means that they're accountable to God, that they don't have their own authority, that they are accountable to God. And they should use that authority in a way which God wants. Otherwise, he will remove them. And we'll learn that further on in Daniel as well. The queen, our queen, she is someone who, uh, who understands this, I believe. Let me just read you uh, a little bit of what she said. She made a broadcast on her 21st birthday. She did a radio broadcast to the Commonwealth. So actually, before she became queen... Uh, But this is what she said back then. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. But I shall not have strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join in it with me, as I now invite you to do. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good my vow. And God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. So the Queen, she says, firstly, I am your servant. As Jesus says, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Whoever wants to be first among you must be servant of all. 
The Queen understands that. And she also says, I can't do it without God's help. So pray for me and uh, with God's help. And he has helped her, hasn't he? He has helped her to make good her vow. And that's something actually in this coming week, as we celebrate the Platinum Jubilee, we can give thanks that God has answered that prayer and helped the Queen over these last 70 years. I think it's a wonderful thing to give thanks for. But I think it's also thinking about kingdoms being ultimate. I think there is a challenge for us as well. I think there's a challenge for us as none of us are, king, none of us are kings here, are we? Or, or queens or whatever. But actually, I think there is a corresponding challenge for us in the way that we see our kings and, and leaders and authorities. We need to see them as being God's servants. This is something which we, uh, we British people, we tend to do. And it's something I've only noticed in the last year or two that we do. But this is something we, we do instinctively. Okay, If you see a problem in the world, we so often we go, oh, the government should do something about that. We do that all the time, don't we? You know, the government should do something about that. They should step in. They should do that. They should do this. And I think, what if our first instinct was to say, you know what? We should pray about that. We should ask the God of gods and the Lord of kings about that. First of all, if that was our first instinct. This is what it says, what Paul says in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 2. I urge them, first of all, that petitions prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So Paul says we should pray for those in authority. And I I have to be honest with you, it's something which I don't do nearly enough of. And it's something that we should do, is to pray for those in authority, to be able to, to discharge their duties in the right and godly way. Because if there are problems, then perhaps that's the first thing that needs to be solved. Okay, the third and final thing to think about today is that the kingdom of God is the ultimate kingdom. The kingdom of God is ultimate. As we were just thinking about earlier, the kingdom, you could talk about this as uh, the kingdom of God being the church, uh, God's people, you know, different ways of, of looking at it and uh, different words really talking about the same kind of thing. The world out there sees itself as the most important thing. The most important thing going on is what they think is what's happening out there, not what's happening in here today. You think, well, what do people do? What do people do instead of um, reading the Bible? or instead of praying, or instead of coming to church. That's because they believe those things are more important than reading the Bible and and, and so on. But actually, it's the, the opposite is the case. The kingdom of God is where true meaning is to be found. Now we started out thinking about that crisis of meaning in the world. Well, that's because people don't, don't recognize, don't understand the kingdom of God. And that's where the meaning crisis comes from. And that's where we, like Daniel, need to step in. And where we need to to show the kingdom. We need to both uh, live that out in the way that we are, not just here, 
but the way that we are in the world, in the way that we work, in the way that we have our relationships, in the way that we are with our family, we need to show that. But also we need to, to speak up about it. And we need to tell people as Daniel did and to say, uh, God is the revealer of mysteries. This is the case. This is the truth. This is what I believe. Let me tell you about Jesus. We need to do both of those two things. We need to proclaim the kingdom of God. We need to show the kingdom of God because that's the most important thing. And that's where people will find meaning. We have a world which is absolutely desperate for it at the moment. We have a world where there is this crisis and we have the answer, don't we? So let's not, let's not be shy about that. Even if people don't want to hear it, let's go out there and let's show people what it means to belong to the kingdom of God and tell them where the answer is that they've been looking for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of gods, a Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us the mystery of the kingdom of God. And we thank you that uh, your kingdom is the ultimate kingdom. We pray that you would help us in the way that we live and the way that we, we speak to others to live out that message of your kingdom uh, as those who belong to your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that uh, this uh, watching world would be able to see uh, the kingdom of God in us as we live as we, we speak to them about it. And Lord, we do pray for our rulers, our authorities, and especially the Queen uh, in this coming week. We do give you thanks for her. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would bless her this week. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have helped her to make good her vow. And pray that you would help her to carry that on till the very end. And that she would be uh, with you in your heavenly kingdom. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.